0: Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yandy, and today we're continuing on with leadership from Psalm 131 that David gave us. And today we're gonna talk about the difference between the arrogant person and the confident person. And the confident person always has security in life. The arrogant is always trying to outdo someone else. We'll talk about it from the Word of God, how that you can grow in your confidence in yourself from the Word of God. For more than 40
1: years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Bob
0: Yandian. Hello and welcome again to Student of the Word with Pastor Bob Yandian. I began a series yesterday on Leadership Secrets of David from my book called Leadership Secrets of David the King, of which the announcer will come on at halftime and tell you how you can have a copy of this for yourself. And really this is leadership in all areas, but what I'm really focusing in on this one is leadership in the church, because David was the king of a nation, much like a pastor leads his congregation and David's uh, nation was the nation of Israel. So therefore for a true leader of Israel had to be spiritual. And so David applying these things into our life brings us back to no matter, this can apply to business, it can apply to home, that's for sure. But really our greatest leadership is when we bring people to Jesus Christ in our life, or once they are brought to Jesus Christ, then we help disciple them. That's where you take, you know, a class in church, you know, you might have uh, children, you might, uh, you know, you might help in the nursery with children, or then later on, you might, you know, work with those in, in uh, junior high, high school, whatever it may be. And in each case, you're helping to mature a person in the things of God, and that has, eternal benefits and so you know your kids can turn out great in life and it brings contentment to you but unless it's the spiritual things of life there's no real rewards in heaven except for those things you did spiritually and so we're talking about the spiritual leadership which again primarily comes back to operating out of the church you have spiritual things in your own life and should and uh, your spiritual guidance should come to help uh, lead people to Jesus help disciple them but really we're talking about those who have full-time positions in this And this is what David did. So we're applying this to the local church. And so yesterday we talked again about that uh, promotion comes by degrees. And whether that's the spiritual life or the natural life, and maturity comes in the same way. And maturity is attached to leadership principles. Psalm 131 is what we're talking about. So let's take a look at it. It's only got three verses to it. Very short. In fact, when I was uh, in... uh, Church, and we had a youth group. They used to ask us to memorize a chapter of the Bible a week. Then we would come back and we would quote it. And so, you know, I would always look for the shortest verses possible, the shortest ones possible. And the Psalms of ascents or the Psalms of degrees of David were usually pretty short. Some are long, but they were some of the shortest in the word of God. So this is one of my favorites, Psalm 131. Let's take a look at it, verses one through three. And David says, a song of ascents or a song of degrees. This is gradual, again, climbing, a song of ascents of David Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty, neither do I exercise myself in great matters, or in things too high or too difficult for me. Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even as a weaned child. Let Israel hope in the Lord from this time on and forever. This today would be the body of Christ. This today would be the local church that we're also talking about here. Numbers of things in your spiritual life. But again, it comes back to leadership over God's people. Let Israel hope in the Lord from this time on and forever. So uh, David is promoting himself here and telling himself here about, him being a king of kings, that God has caused the promotion to come. And we again pointed out yesterday that promotion comes by degrees, one to, one at a time. David came through two rebellions by the time he got to this. And one was with his son who tried to overthrow him. The other was with a man within his own organization called Zeba. And Ziba became jealous of a man named Mephibosheth, who was uh, actually the grandson of Saul and survived the uh, overthrow of Saul and the killing of all the family. But Mephibosheth was the one that was left over. And Ziba, who had been the servant of Saul, uh, secretly behind the scenes was trying to win over part of the kingdom for himself because he thought he had earned it. But again, David had taken it by the direction of the Lord. So Ziba became jealous of Mephibosheth who was found to be the leftover of the family. And because he was crippled, yet David looked past him being crippled and looked at him strictly as an heir to the kingdom and worked with Mephibosheth and gave him part of the rulership of his kingdom. And so Ziba was one that tried it through trickery and Mephibosheth was one who tried it through grace and grace always promoted him. And Mephibosheth was thankful at every step of the way and Ziba kept working behind the scenes, and though Ziba won something in the end, he really lost. Though Mephibosheth lost, it seemed like part of the inheritance because Ziba took it, he didn't lose. He won. The successes of a loser are temporary, but the losses of a winner are also temporary. I want to say that again. The successes of a loser are temporary, but the losses of a winner are also temporary. David came through two rebellions at one time. Absalom had tried to overthrow him as his son, and Ziba had tried to take part of the kingdom that David had gotten, and again, gotten from uh, King Saul before him, and yet again, he lost in the end. After we find him gaining back a little bit of the land, and David divided it up between Absalom and Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is heard from that time on, and Absalom disappears. Although Ziba won, and one part of the land he got from Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth had to cut it in half and give half of it over to Ziba Mephibosheth didn't care. He just kept trusting God. In fact, he said, I didn't work for it in the first place. God gave it to me, I'll give it away. Ziba won, but you never hear about him again, because why? Though Mephibosheth lost, he won. Though Ziba won, he lost. The successes of a loser are temporary. The losses of a winner are also temporary. I wanna say that again. The successes of a loser are temporary, but the losses of a winner are also temporary. David came through two rebellions at the same time. Zeba and Absalom. Absalom tried to overthrow him and he lost and died. Ziba tried to come in and take over. And David, although he was taken for a moment by Ziba and did something wrong by giving him property, later on regretted it, but it came back in the end. You don't hear about Ziba after that. Galatians chapter six and verse nine says this, we should not become weary in well-doing. Notice it doesn't say don't become weary in sinning. You can get tired of just doing things right. It says in due season, we will reap, even if we don't faint. What it's simply saying is, if you keep doing well and keep doing well, and sometimes you get tired of it because you don't see any progress, am I ever going to reach a point where I'll get promoted in life? The answer is yes, but don't look to your promotion. Just look to the well-doing you're doing now and ask yourself a question. If I have to do this for the rest of my life, will I be pleased? Yes, I'm pleased because God is pleased. It doesn't take my pleasure to make me happy. It takes God's pleasure. As long as God is looking at me, God will promote me in due season. It says in due season, we will reap if we don't faint or give up. Winning and losing are heart issues. It's not effort you put into it. It's the attitude behind it. Psalm 34 in verse 19 says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord will deliver him out of them all. Proverbs 24 in verse 16 says, a just man falls seven times and rises up again, but the wicked will fall into times of calamity from now on. It's simply saying the attitude of your heart is what causes you to bounce back in the midst of evil times. And we've all gone through evil times. We've all gone through times where things didn't work out the way we wanted to. Man, the years I pastored, there were certain things I wanted to work out a certain way, and it didn't. Sometimes it actually fell apart. I realized something. It looked good. I thought it would work. I've done this before. Why can't we do it again? But God was in it the first time. He wasn't in it the next time. And I assumed that if it worked once it'll work again. Every time you come to a situation, even if you've done it before, pray, because it may look like the same type of situation, but there's always different circumstances behind it, different people behind it, and how you treat them. How you hear from God is very important. We always like to make life a pattern. And we look for these patterns of hat before. And how did we work out at this one? Oh, it happened this way. I mean, it's kind of like when you have a financial need and you walk out one day after praying, open up your mailbox and there's a check inside in an envelope for say $10,000. You go, oh, I'll look at that. You know what happens now every time the mail comes, you're opening it up and looking for another one. God rarely works the same way twice. Why not just trust him? You weren't expecting a check in the mail the first time. Why do you keep expecting from that time on? Like God's gonna get it into a rut like you're into a rut, you simply think he's going to do the same thing all the time with every occasion, in every situation, by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. So this time might be different. Oh, it may look the same as other times, but instead of looking to God to make it happen the same way as it happened before, trust him. You're going to expect something new this time. So again, Proverbs 24, 16, a just man falls seven times and rises up again, but the wicked will fall. Fall in the times of calamity in other words when the pressure comes the wicked will fall apart but the righteous man will stand up and remain standing second Corinthians chapter four verses eight and nine says this we are troubled on every side yet not distressed." were perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed. In the Psalm that we are looking at Psalm 133, there are four leadership principles that come from the heart, and these are to be developed. Again, they come slowly. The first one is freedom from arrogance. We're gonna talk about this one in the second half of this broadcast. Freedom from arrogance. Arrogance is your enemy, thinking you can do it, thinking you can do it to promote yourself, thinking you don't need God, you don't need people. You have it all within yourself is stupid. And so next of all, promotion through delegation. We'll we'll talk about that in this, that a person who delegates is one that's going to keep on growing. You can't do everything. And it's arrogance to think you can do everything. It's arrogance to think you don't need anybody else. Or if you do bring in somebody else, they have to do it your way. Be open to hearing other ways of doing things. The third thing is conquering your temper. And David had a real temper. Now, the Bible does say he was redheaded. Whether that goes along with it or not, I don't know. But even if you're redheaded, you can control it. Your will is stronger than your hair color. It comes back to it again that the temper needs to be learned to be brought under. And there's times my wife tells me I have an explosive temper at times and I need to, to control that. So conquering the temper is important. Next of all, you need your life. The older you get, you need examples to follow. And David talked about examples around him. We're told in the New Testament to be followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises and we should be followers of them. You should have natural heroes. I mean, military people, presidents of our country, all this business leaders to follow after. But more than that, greatly more than that, you need spiritual examples to follow. Those who were examples in the word of God, the Moses and the Davids and the Solomons and, the, and Jesus himself and the disciples that surrounded him and especially Paul in the New Testament, We have examples to look at. Not only listen to what they taught, but watch their lifestyle. Because eventually in many of them, they started out wrong, but they kept gradually overcoming this. By the end of their life, they were tremendous examples to follow. And God would love for you to one day, if he doesn't come back, leave this earth and go to heaven, but you'll leave behind you a testimony you leave behind your leadership principles that people can look to, and then they will use you among those other leaders that are out there. Not that you tried to, you just followed God and one day found yourself an example to others. We'll see you right after the break.
1: Godly promotion seems always to come in steps. Slow growth allows us to learn valuable lessons on the way up. So once we reach the top, we can stay there and truly enjoy the benefits of success. It took many years from the time that David was anointed king until he became king of Israel. Those who advance too quickly because of their own efforts and talents often find the descent quicker than the ascent. Pastor Bob Yandian has based this book, Leadership Secrets of David the King, on Psalm 131, which reveals the secrets of David's successful leadership that he learned while ruling as king over Israel. To order The Leadership Secrets of David the King, visit our website at bobbyendian.com. This newly revised and expanded handbook is packed with biblical wisdom and practical guidance from the pastoral trenches. It will help to equip and encourage you in your ministry. Bobby Endian, a veteran pastor of more than 30 years, provides answers to common questions relating to your everyday pastoral duties and personal life. Bob covers topics such as the First Pastors Conference in Acts 20, Passion versus Calling, Daily Schedules, Living a Balanced Life, Wolves After Your Sheep, The Glorious Church, Pastors Need Pastors, Whose Flock Do You Pastor, Spiritual Workaholics, Family Before Ministry, The Pastor's Heart, and The Bond of Peace. Bob will help you apply timeless biblical wisdom to the issues and dynamics of today's pastoral ministry. To order, visit our website at bobyandian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity and faithfulness, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit our website at bobyandian.com and click on partnership.
0: Getting back to our program today, I'm gonna enter in right now, in the second half of the broadcast into into arrogance. We're gonna talk about it. We're gonna talk about how to be free from it, what is arrogance, we'll pin it down. And literally, for those of you who have a call to the ministry and especially to pastoring or those of you who are already a pastor, I have a book called God's Word to Pastors. Everything I have taught on pastoring, I mean, to the areas of church government, to also how to run the church, also to how to trust in people, also what to look for in people is all brought out in this book. And even though we're offering Leadership Secrets of David the King, when you do order that book, why don't you go to my website and look up this particular book? book and you'll be blessed by it. Ministers, I've had so many testimonies from this book through the years. It's almost like they said, it becomes the Bible of pastoring. Now I realize everything in here comes from the Bible, but I simply took it all from the word of God, Old and New Testament, put it together and made one on the leadership of the church. So that should be a great blessing to you. And again, you heard at halftime, they talked about my book on leadership secrets of David the King, Psalm 131. You'll be blessed by it. Let's talk about arrogance. What is arrogance? Let's define it. Arrogance is exaggerated self-esteem. What do I mean by that? Self-esteem is important. The Bible is filled with things about self-esteem, that you should love yourself and love what God has done for you, but you have to understand something. Arrogance simply puts God out of the situation, says, I did it myself. I mean, I went to high school with a young man. He was telling us back then, In high school, he said, my dad is an attorney. My dad is a wealthy attorney. He said, my dad is a self-educated man. My father is a self-made person. And I mean, we all went, ooh, things like that. And one day I thought about that. I was long out of high school and I thought about him and I thought there's no such thing as a self-made person. You didn't birth yourself. You didn't change your own diapers. You didn't feed yourself. You didn't clothe yourself. I mean, we go down the list of things. You had people help you all along the way your mom, your dad, your elder brothers, elder sisters, your teachers in kindergarten, first grade, all the way through elementary, junior high, high school, college, and a good person looks back and credits and says thank you to people who have helped them the same way it is in the Christian life. Without the Word of God, we are nobodies. Without the leadership of the people of the Old Testament, we're nobodies. Without the leadership of the New Testament, same thing. We are not self-educated. We are not self-made. So self-esteem is important in the Christian life, but arrogance is exaggerated self-esteem. It's okay to look at yourself and pat yourself on the back and say, Bob, God has made something out of you. The leadership you've had around you have trained you to help you become what you are today. And the same thing is true with you. Romans twelve three says this, I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Notice he didn't say it's wrong to think of yourself highly. It's wrong to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. That is what arrogance is. Luke chapter 10 and verse 27, Jesus answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself." Notice this, not only are you to love yourself, but a person who is not uh, arrogant also loves his neighbor as much as he loves himself. So it's all right to love yourself and what God has done for you, but you also love the Lord, your God, and then your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Love puts everybody on your level, but arrogance puts you above everybody else. Arrogance is the source of the original sin of Satan, And all of your own personal sins. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 14 says this, speaking of where arrogance began. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Let's examine it is what Isaiah is saying. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How then have you been cut down to the ground, which weakened the nations? You have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mountain of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will be like the most high God. Five eyes are in this verse of scripture. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Second Timothy chapter three, verses one and two says, know this also in the last days, perilous times will come. How are the perilous times gonna come? For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, On and on from there. What's he saying in these verses of Scripture? You know what's going to be a mark of the end times? Extreme arrogance. Everything revolves around you and what you want and the world is here to serve you. And what this verse is simply saying is everybody doing this is going to cause the world to fall apart. There won't be any love of anybody else. In other words, instead of me finding out what you want and then helping you, no, 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 I'm looking for you to help me in everything. And I need you to basically become a servant of mine. So in the last days, men will be lovers of themselves. And listen, Notice that starts it in verse two. Men will be lovers of their own selves. And then after that, everything that is mentioned is an offspring of arrogance. Proverbs 16, 18, pride precedes destruction. And before a fall, arrogance of spirit prevails. Wow, I mean, that's pretty clear cut. God is simply saying here, it's the cause of everything in life. It's what causes things to fall apart. And proud people always are looking for ways where they can work themselves around other people. We'll talk about that here in just a moment. Proverbs chapter six, verses 16 through 19. These six things the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him. Notice what starts off the list, a proud look. Above everything else, from everything else, this time on after when we talk about these seven things, the first one's gonna be a proud look and everything revolves around pride toward yourself or arrogance. So a proud look. Next of all, a lying tongue. Why will you tell lies? Because it makes you look better. And since you are the the God of your life, then lying should be okay. So a proud look. Next of all, a lying tongue. Next of all, hands that shed innocent blood. Notice it's not wrong to kill somebody. It's wrong to kill innocent people. There's times when killing in the Bible is okay. But notice this, it says hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked imaginations. All you think about is how you can better yourself, even if you have to step on other people's feet that are swift in running to mischief. So here, all you can think about is just getting into trouble, getting things in trouble, but everything is for your benefit and even breaking the law. A false witness speak lies and he who sows discord among brethren. Here we have it coming right into the church. And it says here in this verse of scripture that, you know, these six things the Lord hates, seven are an abomination to him. When it talks about he who sows discord among brethren, it's talking about some of these things can be done by Christians. You mean there's arrogant Christians? Absolutely. There's arrogant Christians that attend church arrogant Christians that can end up on your staff, your church workers in there, as well as, you know, in the Christian life, leadership that rises up. But arrogance is the bottom line, and they're in it to promote themselves. So arrogance puts the person in competition with everyone else. Again, I'm going to say that again. Arrogance puts that person in competition with everyone else, condescending to those who seem lower, But jealous of those who seem to be better. The arrogant must always leave in control of every situation and every conversation. They have to be in control. And even when they don't know what they're talking about, they act like they know what they're talking about. And then if you don't believe them, they will get angry at you like how dumb you are and how smart they are. So again, the arrogant must always leave in control of every situation and every conversation. They overstate their own importance. In fact, they can't have a conversation with telling you how much better they are at everything. They cannot admit to their own weaknesses and they cannot admit other people's strengths. They can tell everyone how to be better and yet they themselves cannot be taught and few, if any, can attain to their level Arrogance is the only disease that makes everyone sick except the one who has it. And we've seen this happen over and over and over again. The enemy of the arrogant person is the self confident person, and that self confident person is usually a believer. There's nothing wrong with being self confident. Just don't let it become over exaggerated. Remember again that arrogance is exaggerated self esteem. God loves self esteem. He loves it when you consider yourself, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I do didn't do this, Jesus did it. I remember there was other people also in our class, as I talked about the one that talked about his dad was, you know, a self-made person who I saw later. And later on, there were so many of them that admitted, you know, I really didn't have any goals in life. And I got out of high school, still didn't know, went to college and found this one course that attracted me. And you know what? I'm thankful today for all those teachers who shared their life and decided to be teachers, make less money than they can make in businesses of the world. But yet they taught me and they shared of their life so that I could become better. They loved to see, and their end result was not how much money they made. The end result was students that got out there and became successful in life. And uh, I remember I have a friend of mine, and he was talking about uh, how much he understood uh, Spanish. He said he had a Spanish teacher, he said, in, in junior high, and when this lady taught Spanish, she says it's like she was gifted at, so gifted at, and she made it so simple. He said, I found myself halfway through the class uh, that year speaking really good Spanish. Not everything, but he said a lot of it. And he said, and I really didn't realize that until he said I was in El Salvador and I had to be there for a few years. He said, I went down there and I just like, I just went right in, bled right in with the people and was, was assimilated into them. Why? He said, because I all those things she taught me came back to me as I used it. He says, and I often thank her for that. So again, arrogance is the only disease that makes everyone sick except the one who has it. Enemies of the arrogant person is the self-confident believer. And they consider the confident to be simple-minded. And unaware of the real issues and ways of life. Again, when they find a confident person, they call them simple-minded. They call them not they don't really they're unaware of the issues of life, the way things really are. The arrogant despise authority. Like Zeba, they go over other people's heads, including their bosses. If they can't get what they want from the boss, they go above the boss and they go to someone else. They end up playing both ends against the middle, and the middle is them. They want to play the this end down here with uh, with people in in the organization, this end with management, and they'll go to any length to get what they want and put the two together, and they come out looking good after it's all over. But whatever that the arrogant can build will fall apart. The arrogant secretly consider themselves to be smarter than God, Proverbs 3.34. God sets himself in battle array against the arrogant, but gives undeserved favor to the humble. The arrogant overstate their own necessity and keep themselves surrounded by complexity. What do I mean by that? Well, they surround themselves by complexity in that whenever you question them and say, why are you doing this? I say, oh, you just don't understand this. You, you don't understand where the world I live in. is so complex. And what you think is, well, it wouldn't do me any good to ask them. They keep themselves surrounded by complexity to cover up their own inadequacies the arrogant and the confident. The proud confuse arrogance with confidence. The humble often confuse confidence with arrogance. Arrogance will not credit others and cannot be taught, but confidence credits others, parents, teachers, leaders in life, and especially God, and is always open to be taught. Galatians chapter six, verses one through five. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore that one in the spirit of meekness. A meek person is teachable. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So it simply comes back to this. Stop taking yourself so seriously. Give credit to whom credit is due. And thank God for all the advancements you have made in life. I'll see you next time.
1: You can order resources, become a partner,